Welcome to Growing in Grace with Pastor Victor Morrison. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas. We are praying that God will bless you as you listen to this message. If you would like additional information on worship times and ministries at FBC Columbus, you can find out more at our website, fbccolumbustx.org. And now, take your copy of God's Timeless Word as Pastor Victor gives today's message. Hi, friends. I hope you're doing well today. I'm so glad that spring is close. I think uh, this coming Sunday, I don't know when this uh, broadcast will be out there, but this coming Sunday, it's going to be the spring equinox. And so I know uh, the sun is headed this way. So I'm so excited. You know, it kind of reminds me of spring cleaning. Do you have any plans to clean your house, clean your garage, your attic, uh, something like that, maybe the yard? I know uh, I noticed a few signs up in our community about trash off weekend. You know, in 1864, a housewife wrote this in her diary, according to Country Living, swept and dusted sitting room and kitchen 350 times, filled lamps 362 times, swept and dusted chamber and stairs 40 times. I don't know about you, but that seems a little bit over the top for me. But have you ever thought, where did all the spring cleaning come from? Where did that idea begin? You know, back in Exodus, uh, the um, Israelites left so quickly. There was no time for them to uh, bake bread and wait on it to rise and so forth. So they had to rely on unleavened bread for their journey. And so the Passover is uh, remembering how God set them free from Egypt at that time. And so late March to mid-April will always be uh, Passover. During that time, even now, uh, Jewish families want to make sure that there are no traces of leaven left in their house. So that means no crumbs under the table. Can you imagine? Some people say that's where spring cleaning came from. I want to tweak it just a bit, if I may, from spring cleaning to spring cleansing. Do you ever feel like that you need to also clean your soul, your spirit? Do you ever have some sins that just began to kind of pile up? I want to introduce you to a passage. Perhaps you've already read it, but if not, you'll really uh, enjoy this passage. It's got some good news. It's found in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 uh, through chapter 2, verse 2. Let me read this passage and then make a few comments about spring cleansing. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, As He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, 
and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You know, that's so exciting to think that God, He knew that we were going to be broken. He knew we would choose a sinful way of living. And so He made provisions through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so He's offering us the opportunity to come to Him for cleansing. So let's look at this passage a little more closely and see, okay, what can we learn about this cleansing of our soul? The first thing I wanted you to notice is in verse 5. I want to call it a communication of a delightful message. The communication of a delightful message. Some messages aren't delightful. But those early apostles, they found something that they were so excited about. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. There was something that they heard from God. It was a revelation of God that was given to them in Christ. You know, the verses just before verse 5, if you were to back up to verse 1 and read all the way down through verse 4, you would see that there's this word that's mentioned two times, the word manifest. You see, God was revealing who he is, what he's like. He was revealing his plan. And it's so exciting to think that these early Christians didn't keep it to themselves. They said, no, this revelation of God in Christ is something we have to proclaim. That's why back in verse 2, he uses the word testify. And in verse 2 and verse 3, the word proclaim. Oh, listen, this is wonderful news. I think if we really knew who our God is, man, we would be so excited just to introduce him to others. As a matter of fact, right before he talks about proclaiming this message that was revealed to him, he says, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Are you looking for joy? Hey, it's found in the gospel. It's found in Christ. So that's the first thing that stood out to me is the communication of a delightful message. The second thing is found also in verse 5, and that is the character of a wonderful creator. Hey, let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought about this? What is God like? Well, they found out what he was like. When they met Jesus face to face, they were so surprised. Maybe he wasn't like what they thought. It says that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Wow. You know the purity of our Creator is off the charts. As a matter of fact, all it says is, God is light. I love that. You know, it reminds me that despite how depraved uh, society may choose to be, God's not that way. God is light. As a matter of fact, the authenticity of our Creator is stated quite clearly in verse 5 when it says, in Him is no darkness at all. Can you imagine? No darkness. Man, that's authentic. You know, I think a lot of times younger people these days, they've been burned. And so what they're really looking for, they're looking for authenticity, something that's real and genuine. 
I think we've got a God like that. So anyway, I just wanted to say, man, what a wonderful creator we have, and we can see his character quite clearly in this verse. But I want to move on to verse 6, because there's something else. Even though God is like that, we are not like that, are we? No, he says here, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Hmm. You know, the scriptures reveal something about mankind, all of us. And what it says is, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the truth about the human race. It's a sin problem. That's why we have darkness. Someone told me a long time ago, the best way to define what sin is, is to slow it down. You spell it S-I-N, right? Take the S off, remove the N, and you have one letter left. The heart of sin is I, doing what I want to do. And so it's all about self. And so we rebel against God because we want to be in control. But the problem is we can't control our actions the way that God can. Remember, God's light. But here it says, if we're going to claim that we're walking with the Lord who is light, and yet we're walking in darkness, he said, you know what you're doing? It's just a lie. It's not real. You're not practicing the truth. And so it's an unhealthy thing for us to claim to be in fellowship with God and yet live in darkness. That's why I call this the concealment of a harmful lifestyle, the concealment of a harmful lifestyle, because a double life, it's not real. And so sooner or later, it catches up with us, that inconsistency. So what we have here is our God, who loves us so much, is saying, come follow me and be genuine, be real. I like verse uh, 7, where it moves on to talk about the connections from a truthful discipleship. Truthful discipleship. Have you ever considered the word integrity? Integrity comes from a Latin word, integer. It means whole, complete, unbroken. That's very much uh, unlike us, right? Because we are broken. But here's what it says in verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Wow. That's incredible that in Christ, we can be restored in our vertical relationship, our vertical connection with God through the blood of Christ, he says. Our sins are washed away. But also in Christ, when we're restored properly to God, you know what it does to our human relationships? Those horizontal connections, they're restored as well. He says here, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Man, it's just wonderful walking in the light. But I know that someone may contend that they have no sin. That's why verse 8, I think, reminds me of contending without helpful truth. Because you see, when they're contending that they have no sin, this verse tells me, Victor, you're just pretending It says here in verse 8, if we say we have no sin, I don't have any sin at all, then it says we deceive ourselves 
and the truth is not in us. You see, there's something missing whenever we say that we have not sinned. What is that thing that's missing? Truth, God's truth. And so God's word is a lot like, let's compare it to a mirror, and it will show us exactly the way things are. You know, I was thinking about all of us, and we look into the mirror of God's word. We look, let's say the Ten Commandments, and we realize how we do fall short. We realize, oh no, I don't like what I see in the mirror of God's word. Don't stop reading. Go on to verse 9. I love this. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Man, that's fantastic. But notice that even with that beautiful promise, there is a condition with that. You see, God is consistent in his faithfulness. He's also uh, giving us a certification of his fairness because he says that he is faithful and he is just. But also he's saying that he will forgive us. And so I love that, complete forgiveness. But did you notice that it's not automatic? There's something we have to do. Oh no, we better read it again. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Man, that's great news right there. So isn't it wonderful that if I will confess my sins, if I will be honest with him about my frailties, my faults, my disobedience, and all those kind of things, then he says he'll forgive me. Have you ever done a word study on that word confess? I looked it up and I, I was really amazed to see that what does it mean to confess? What it means is that we now agree with God. What we're saying is if you call that sin, I call that sin. I agree, God, with what you're saying. That's all that confession is. So isn't it wonderful that the one thing, as a matter of fact, the only thing that the Father is saying, if you want his cleansing, is that we have to agree with him. We have to say, okay, God, you were right. I was wrong when I did that sin. I think that's a wonderful thing. No wonder that's the only condition to this beautiful promise. But then verse 10, he takes us down to a shameful assertion. You know, if we make a certain claim, then we're going to be asserting something that's simply not true about God. Let me read verse 10 again. It says, If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word's not in us. If there's one thing that I've learned about God is he always tells me the truth. I can always count on him. You know, it's sort of like we need an objective marker, an objective anchor that's not dependent on the, the ebb and flow of our own emotions. And so I'm so glad that God is like that. See, I may make a subjective claim and say, I don't think, I don't feel like I have sinned. I don't think I've ever sinned. But that's just subjective. But that's why God gives us an objective uh, standard of his word so that we can look at God's character. We can look at what God has revealed to us in the scriptures. We can look at his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we can know, wait a minute, how shameful of me to say that God's lied to me. 
No, God's telling us the truth. And he's telling us the truth because he cares. He wants the best for us. As a matter of fact, I love these next two verses that we'll wrap it up with. Do you know that Jesus is sort of like an attorney, kind of like a counselor? He's a counselor with a lawful representation. Look at verse uh, 1 of chapter 2. It says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. I like that. You know, even though I'm a pastor, I could never say, I can represent you before God because I'm righteous. You know what? I'm broken. I'm just like you. I mean, all of us as human beings, we've all fallen short of God, what God wants for us. But how wonderful is it that the father saw that. And so the father said, I'm going to send my son. And when Jesus came down to this earth, there's one major difference between his life and, well, my life. Let's say your life. That one major difference is he never sinned, not even once. That's why he can represent us. It's lawful. It's right because he earned it. He said, I'm going to do the will of my father who sent me. And that's exactly what he did, even to his last breath. That's why I love this last verse that we're going to look at, verse 2. The reason you see Jesus can lawfully represent us is not only because of his righteous life and how he always obeyed the Father, but how about this? His righteous death, his perfect death. You see, he provided for us something called the atonement. The atonement means a covering. And so there's a covering for our sins, for a sinful world. I want to read that verse to you. Listen to this. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So what it's telling me is his death on the cross, it satisfied the Father. That word there, propitiation, it's a long word. It's hard for me to even pronounce. But what it basically is saying is that whenever Jesus died on the cross, the Father looked at his righteous life. Jesus died in my place. He died in your place. And whenever the Father looked at his life, you know what he said? That's enough. That's enough. That is sufficient. That is sufficient to cover your sins. And so that's wonderful news for all of us. You know, whenever you put something out there on the air or you put something out there on the internet or wherever this broadcast may go, you never know how far it will go. And so I just wanted to say, even if you're from another country, let's say that your home country is not America. Let's say that you weren't born here. I've got good news even for you. Here's what it says, that he was the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You know what, friend? No matter what your racial background, I want you to know that there's a God in heaven who loves you and loves your people group, loves any that are still uh, back home uh, in the country where you came from. 
I want you to know that he loves your, your nation and your people. As a matter of fact, I love how in Revelation, it says that someday people from every tribe, every tongue, every people, and every nation will stand before the throne of God. And they will be there because they're, they're covered, they're washed, they're cleansed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Man, that's fantastic news. So no matter who you are, no matter what you would say, well, look, I don't have a lot of money. I don't have a lot of education. I don't know a lot of people. I don't have a lot of connections. None of that matters, friend. What matters is, do you have Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord? Have you gone to Him? Have you received the substitute for your sins? You know, Jesus' blood can cleanse whatever sins that you have done. You take, for example, the Apostle Paul. I mean, this guy, he was kind of mean at first. He put people in chains that were Christians. As a matter of fact, he even says on one occasion, he even had murdered some people. That's terrible. But you know what? He was forgiven. The Lord can cleanse any spot that is on your life, on your soul and your spirit. So I just want to encourage you to go to Him for the cleansing. It doesn't have to be springtime, you know. It could be summer. It could be fall. It could be winter. Uh, anytime. What time is it in your life? Well, the Bible says that now is the time for us to be saved. This is the day of salvation. You know, I want to give you an opportunity to pray with me. Can I lead you in a prayer? You know, you may be in a car, and so I certainly wouldn't want to invite you to close your eyes and pray with me, but you can keep driving and you can pray, or perhaps you're at home and right there in your recliner or sitting at your kitchen table, you can bow your head and pray this prayer after me. And if you really mean it with all your heart, then I know that God will save you and he will wash away all your sins. That's why Jesus came. So why don't we pray together? I'll lead us and I'll say a part of the prayer and then you repeat the prayer wherever you are and just say it from your heart to God. And I know that the Bible says if we call upon him and uh, he will save us. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I know that the Bible tells me you love me. Thank you for loving me. The Bible also tells me the truth. It tells me that I've sinned, that I've fallen short of the glory of God. Thank you for providing a way for me to have my sins forgiven. Jesus' substitu substitutionary death for me was enough. Thank you, Lord, that his blood can cleanse my sin. Please forgive me of my sin. Please guide me. Please take me to heaven when I die. Please allow me to have the privilege of entering into your family. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Did you pray that prayer with me? We would love to hear if you did. You can contact First Baptist Church in Columbus, Texas. You can uh, find us online. You can also call us. Uh, our number here is 979-732-6261. 
My extension is extension three. You can call me. I'd love to hear that you prayed that prayer and asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. Listen, I, I just pray that this week will be a blessed week for you. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to us and to uh, uh, just study God's Word with us. You don't have to wait until we have uh, a broadcast. You can open the Word of God anytime and begin to read for yourself some of these wonderful promises that God has made. You have a great week. God bless you. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas.